Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collard here alongside ESPN's Courtney Cronin inside TCO Performance Center. And as we are recording this, the Everson Griffin situation is still in flux, but I felt like we wanted to get together and have a conversation about what is going on with Everson Griffin. And as things change and Rick Spielman is supposed to talk later, then we'll have more for you here on the show. But uh, Courtney, this has been a really difficult day, I think, for everybody in the building. When we all woke up, we saw Everson Griffin's Instagram post And I think every one of us thought back to 2018 and him missing some time due to mental health issues. And then when we arrived, we got a statement from the Vikings that people were at his house and met, uh, you know, mental health professionals and so forth. And so I think our first impression was, okay, well, they're dealing with this and we'll see what happens. And now as we speak, Everson Griffin is still inside of his house and the police are there. Rick Spielman is there. uh, The Vikings personnel are there. And it is a very scary situation for someone who has seemingly gotten things back together in his life and is who, who has played extremely well this year and has talked on multiple occasions about how he was in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, clearly that is not the case. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of things that you want answers to that you just don't have answers to yet. So you have to get answers to what you can right now and what we know right now is that he's alone in the house that is what the police uh, news report from the Minnetrista Police Department said so his wife and three children are not there which is a good thing because he did fire a gun in the house that is also what the police uh, incident news report whatever you want to call it I know there are a lot of people out there who are being very critical of reporting right now and just of uh, what things are being called semantics and all of that I encourage you all have a little bit of grace with this situation because of how fluid it is and how tough this is to cover considering this is an active you know standoff situation between somebody who is armed and clearly going through something a mental health crisis and people trying to get him to come out who just want to see him safe. So what we know right now is that the Vikings put out that statement. They had people over at the house um, in the western suburbs of Minnesota where Everson lives since 7 a.m. They've Mm -hmm. been dealing with this situation. And I woke up this morning early and, you know, saw the post, like while many of them were still up, where he was – he, he had a post uh, on his Instagram story where he said that there were people in his house trying to kill him. The video, which has now been deleted, was incredibly scary of him just talking to no one really in particular, but talking about a 45, um, I think it's 45 caliber gun. Is that what you call it? Like it's a, it's, it's a pistol. It's yeah. a, you know, uh, and he said that he, he owns it. it. He has it registered. Like he wanted to make sure that that part was clear for some reason. And then, you know, he threw Dalvin Cook's name into it. So of course, when you drag another teammate into that, like there's going to be questions on that too. Cook talked to us, said he doesn't know why that happened. And of course there's going to be these questions asked because it's just a really weird situation. And it's a scary situation you hope first and foremost that he's going to be all right and come out okay from this. But when you bring it back to what we do as reporters, we are football reporters, we're human beings too. You know, you have to ask the questions about, well, where does he stand right now? I mean, what, I mean, certainly his health and what we know now 
his health is, is first and foremost, no matter what. But, you know, if you're expecting Everson Griffin to play this week, uh, I mean, absolutely not, in my opinion. That's never that's not going to happen, considering the circumstances. Right. And when we got here and talked with Mike Zimmer, uh, we were not aware that it was a, and I guess we'll, the, I don't know of any other word to use, but a standoff situation. Yeah. That, uh, that, that's the only way. I mean, unless, you I mean, it's not a hostage situation, right. although, like, he ha- he is you know, kept keeping himself in the house. He won't come out and they don't want to, you know, make it worse. Right. Right. So, uh, we didn't know that when no. we got here, uh, all we knew was the Instagram post. And when we talked with Mike Zimmer, Sam Ekstrom asked Zimmer, is he safe? And Mike said, I don't know. And, and that's and, terrifying. Yeah. When he yep. said it like that, that let us know in that moment it was an ongoing situation. We had no clue yeah. before any of that. So, again, there are a lot of people out there who, I mean, got furious with me for asking the first thing about what is his status, like, with the team for, for Sunday. Um, this is football. We cover football. And we had no clue that this was an ongoing situation. Right. Certainly, you're worried about this man's mental health because this has been an issue before with this team for the entire 2018 season, I mean, that had lingering effects, too, when he came back of how's he going to be? Is he okay? Is he getting the help and the treatment that he needs? And now seeing it happen again is just really sad. And you hope for the best. You hope that you don't have a tragedy coming out of this because that would just be the the, the worst possible resolution to any of this. And, and as, we, as we are recording this, we still have no resolution. Right, and that's the hard thing about doing this as we do with this medium with podcasts because things can change quickly just like when we talk to Mike Zimmer and you ask him about the football part of it because at that point it's just an Instagram video and at that point we had no idea that he was in the house locked in there by himself and wouldn't let anybody in right so I think that the context matters but it also sort of speaks to how difficult things can be for people to follow when it comes to breaking news situations and how there was once upon a time in journalism school where it was, Hey, you know, let's take it slow on these things and, you know, not be quick to react or quick to report something unless you're sure or whatever else. Uh, but now people want answers instantly. And so you're trying to get answers of like, what is this, post mean, mean to his football status mm-hmm. and that was before knowing what was going on outside uh with everson griffin so now unfortunately this is a huge part of this game on sunday against the san francisco 49ers and of course you and i have covered everson griffin for a long time he is a heart and soul type of player that has respect from top to bottom in the nfl in the building and you could see how shaken mike zimmer was it was very clear that Mike Zimmer was not, not in a great place. No, and I, and I think Andre Patterson in his own right was not emotionally, um, you know, like he wasn't emotionally here because this is clearly something I know he said he was trying to compartmentalize and he lost his mother earlier this season and that you just kind of have to keep going in the moment when you're in this building. Like when you exit the building, real world problems come into play, but he's trying to keep his, his room together. And I empathize with that because I saw that defensive line unit out there. It's very thin. You have four guys right now 
who are capable of playing defensive end. Apparently they, you know, I believe I just saw a report that they might be signing to Sean Bauer. Yeah. So Sean um, Bauer is coming, coming back, back uh, the return from the Patriots practice squad. But that, that shows you how thin they are right now. Right. And Patterson's trying to do what he can to keep that group together before, you know, a situation like this can really shake a team to its core. I mean, think about what happened when the players, before the media and anybody else knew, they all knew what was going on that Buffalo game. Yep, why do you think? Why yep. do you think they played that way? Because they were shook after going through what what Everson went through and everything else. Now he's trying to keep them together so something like that doesn't happen again. Because you know, bringing this back to football and what we do, they're a 500 team right now. This is a pivotal game for them to not fall off track and get behind the eight ball and you know they're doing it without their entire starting defensive line and that's a really tall task against such a good a team that mixes it up in the run they do a lot of misdirection stuff they use a wide receiver as a running back like they do a lot of really creative stuff which helps them um offensively and I think your defensive line when you look at it is is out for has a very very tall task ahead of it um and you've, they've already been moving pieces around. I mean, Sheldon Richardson spoke with us today after his big game against the Packers because he was already moving out to defensive end because they didn't have Kenny Willekes. Yeah, um, let me just back up one second. Uh, when it comes to a situation like this, before we get into even more about how it uh, affects the matchup, I thought it was really something – to see the players, Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer tried this, but it, he's just wears his emotions on his sleeve type of guy. I get that it's football culture to be like, look, next man up, man, who yeah. cares? This is a little different. It's not an ACL. Yeah, this is like, very different. Everyone felt bad for Daniil Hunter when he went down. Sure. But Daniil Hunter will be okay. Like He'll go on with his life. He's not dealing. Daniel Hunter wasn't dealing with, I mean, we know he had dark days. He told us about that, but it wasn't a situation where he had and an apparent loaded gun right. and was videoing him himself talking about that people are trying to pop him in his house. Right. Like there's something seriously wrong here. And I think it really goes to show you too, just like the impact mental health has. I mean, it's, it's such a hot topic and I, I hate even calling it a hot topic. It's just embedded within the fabric of the NFL within sports now that we actually understand it a little bit more than we did. And, you know, with Cal- from Calvin Ridley talking about it to even Stefan Diggs talking about it the other day and had a really, really heads up answer about handling, you know, the highs and lows that come with what you do. Um, but now this team's dealing with a crisis yeah. on their hands again. And I-, I don't know if I would say I'm disappointed with the next man up mentality, but it just kind of felt hollow where yeah. it's like, this is not somebody who just tore his ACL and has to rehab for, nine to 12 months this is somebody who's like dealing with a you know a very scary situation with a loaded handgun like that's not that's not next man up that's you know and, and guys were talking about it like Dalvin Cook said he had reached out to him had not heard back from him Sheldon Richardson said he like I think the most honest answer came from Sheldon where he's like yeah he's not answering his phone right now like that kind of gave me a little bit of chills and yep. just like how creepy that sounded where it's like he's dealing with something right now he was live posting for a good por- part portion of the morning and now it's radio silence and we don't know what's happening that's scary and i'm um, sure it's scary for the teammates too the guys who have been with him in this locker room who are incredibly close to them 
to not know. As we speak here, uh, Paul Walsh, who covers um, police matters for the Star Tribune, tweeted out, Scanner Chatter is suggesting a peaceful resolution. Um, so we hope that that is how it comes to, and then you know we'll continue to talk about this and where it's gone. But I, I just feel like there's a lot of times where it's appropriate to say next man up, and there's maybe one or two times where it's not. And Andre Patterson saying, hey, my mom died and I came back to work. It's like, you know, this is not really the right message for people. Um, this is the type of message that makes it, I don't know, pervasive in society to just keep working through things. Yeah. And that football mentality, it just kind of comes back to like they can say all they want about, oh, mental health, we care about this and everything else. But then as soon as something is really shaking everyone in the building, they can't even admit that it is. And I know they don't have to come out to us and, you know, shed their tears and everything else. They can feel how they want to feel behind the scenes as opposed to in front of the cameras. But at the same time, I just, I just felt like you said hollow. I just felt like it was maybe not the right tone to strike when it's something so serious about somebody that they all care so much about. It's like, look, no one's, no one's buying this. And, and also who, what does this accomplish by saying this? That's, that's all I wanted to bring up. It's like you in society don't act like them because this is, that is a ridiculous approach to something like this. And it's okay to admit that things are bothering you while you're having to go do your job. And it's not, here's, I think the football side of a lot of people are, Oh, it's going to give an advantage. Can't give the opponent any advantage. They can't see that we're catch us with our guard down. They can't, we cannot allow them to look at us and say, oh, they're weakened right now because they're dealing with this because their mind is elsewhere. Like, that is such an antiquated way of looking at things. Yep. Like, you're going to be prepared one way or the other. And if you're shaken, you're shaken. Like, I don't see – if you're, you're not a human being if this does not shake you to your core, realizing that this person who was just in the building was just playing a football game – had come back here, had, before he posted a pretty aggressive Instagram post, before all this happened, there was one that came before the Green Bay game that was littered with a lot of language um, that was asterisked out because it's bad words and um, said he was just angry and all this stuff, and then he deleted that. And then there was a post before that, which I believe is still up, where he was talking about how he's in the best mental space he's ever been in. That's a little scary when you see somebody post that and then however many days later they're in a effective standoff situation with the right. police, which, as you were saying, Paul Walsh, I'm looking at his Twitter account now, says that it's suggesting a peaceful resolution. So hopefully, hopefully that's the case. But, you know, the dialogue and discourse around something like this needs to be less football-y and, and more, you know, like let, let's change the whole thing. Yeah. Because, but then, 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 and the flip side of that, like people are gonna be like, well, then Courtney, why, why the hell did you ask the question about what's his status for Sunday? Well, that's because we didn't know. We what did was going no on clue yet. what yeah. was going on. If yeah. we knew this was an active situation, then we wouldn't have approached it that way. Right. We didn't know he wasn't safe. Right. Yeah. And now that you know that he's still, like, I don't know what happens with him from here on out. I don't think that he's probably gonna play the rest of the year. I don't. I don't see how you can. I really don't. This is he needs to he needs to focus on himself and getting right because something's not right right now is very clearly. Yep, I agree. I just thought it was the wrong tone to strike if you want to be the organization that cares about mental health but then comes out and says, "Ah, well, 
we got a defensive line to coach. Like, eh, I don't know. I just, it just didn't feel just didn't feel right. Um, but, you know, there is no real model to talk about something like this that's such a unique situation. So, again, like you said, we both covered Everson Griffin for a long time. He has been a heart and soul type of person and player for this organization. And uh, hopefully that it turns out that he can focus on himself. But now on to the football part sure. of it, which, like you said, I mean, this is – a huge part of it because this game holds a lot of people's maybe even careers in the balance of the difference between winning and losing this game is so significant with your playoff chances and not having Delvin Tomlinson because of COVID, which Mike Zimmer announced that he is out for this week. So yes. there was a possibility. It was a close contact. It's not. He he's, tested he has positive. COVID and he's unvaccinated. Right. He's out. He's unvaccinated. And um, so, so he won't play and Everson Griffin won't play. Your only guy who has really any experience, any real experience in the NFL of being good at football is Sheldon Richardson mm -hmm. to Sean Bowers coming back. Who knows how much he could play. Now you have Patrick Jones, James Lynch, Armand Watts, and not a whole lot else. Versus Maybe Kenny, probably Kenny pro Willekes. Probably Kenny Willekes, yeah. right? Playing what, his third game or second game of his career? Uh, and by the way... The San Francisco 49ers rank fourth in the NFL in run block grade from Pro Football Focus. The Vikings have already lost to number one and number three. That would be Dallas and the Cleveland Browns. This, this team will stay with the run. They will, yeah, they, will. they will continue to do it. They are not like the Chargers who got a little nervous about continuing to run the football and then felt the need to throw it downfield for incompletions and ruin their drives. This team will continue to just pound and pound and pound and pound. I mean, this makes this matchup so difficult. Yeah, I mean, your your front seven, you're putting so much emphasis on your linebackers this week. And fortunately, you know, it looks like all of them are healthy at this point. We, but when the time we're recording this, we don't have the injury report out. But Anthony Barr was practicing. Eric Kendricks was practicing. Nick Vigil was practicing. It looked like they had the full depth of their linebacking core, which against a team that gets so creative with their run game, and they were kind of down at the beginning of the year, and there were points of October where it's kind of like, well, what are they doing? Like, what kind of offensive identity do they have? Well, they figured it out, and a lot of that is that they stick with the run and mm -hmm. they commit to it in, in really creative ways, and they use a screen game, and they do all these other things that make them so dynamic in that respect and now that your defensive line has taken such a huge hit the guys behind them if you're going to be in base all day are going to be <laughs> you're going to have a, a tough task sam ekstrom here wondering if you're stuck on your company's injury report in an unfortunate situation like that it's good to have someone in your corner that's where kemet sanford and kramer law can help you understand your rights under minnesota's workers compensation laws there's enough uncertainty in our lives nowadays that the last thing you want is to feel helpless if you wind up in a bad situation after a workplace injury. Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer will fight for you if there's been a wrongfully denied work comp claim so you can get the benefits you deserve. If your claim's been accepted, they help with rehabilitation disputes, medical disputes, help you get a second opinion, and ensure you're getting all the benefits you're entitled to on an accepted claim. Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer will provide you a dedicated and experienced disability attorneys that have secured their clients tens of millions of dollars. Our good friends Mike, Pat, and Evan will handle all that messy legalese to and from the insurance company about your claim. 
while you focus on what's important, your recovery. And there's no cost involved for reaching out to Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer. In fact, you don't pay a dime unless they successfully obtain your benefits. You get paid, then they get paid. It's that simple. The website is yourminnesotaworkcomplawyer.com, where you can find a phone number to get a free consultation. This is an attorney advertisement from Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer, yourminnesotaworkcomplawyer.com. Right, because this team in San Francisco also attacks the linebackers as well as anybody else in the NFL. So Mm -hmm. if they're finding ways to run the football successfully and then they're going after the linebackers in play action and with motion and all these other things that are happening, this could make for a very difficult matchup. And when you look at San Francisco's offense the last couple of weeks, and I know it was the Jaguars, but it's just been very impressive. It was very impressive against the Rams, very impressive uh, against Jacksonville. And with Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, they're just a different football team. I mean, I, there is no real answer here for the Vikings to how you can create pressure on them, how you can stop the run. I think it's really just... Can you limit the number of times Debo Samuel breaks for big plays? Like this is going to have to be a Mike Zimmer scheme of Ben don't break all day long and hope that you can stop them on third down from time to time. I mean, that seems to be the only way that you're going to be able to slow down this offense that in three of the last four weeks has put up at least 30 points. And the way that they're using Debo Samuel like as a running back, um, I thought it was kind of funny Sheldon Richardson's answer about, well, when he runs the ball, he looks like a running back. And when he catches a ball, he looks like a wide receiver. You know, they use him as such a utility piece within their offense that that makes it really dangerous. Like you can look at a stat line and be like, oh my God, why do you have one catch against Jacksonville? Well, look what he did in the rushing game. Like if he goes over a hundred, do not be surprised this week considering the depleted defensive front that the Vikings have and that this would probably be the week that you can scheme up those runs. And, you know, that's, they got to, you know, I know, I think it's, um, you know, their, their rookie draft pick, what is it? Elijah Mitchell. Um, he's still dealing with the finger, yep. so he might n- not play, but Jeffrey Wilson and Trey Sermon did pretty darn good in his place. They kind of balanced the whole rushing attack out last week behind Debo Samuel. Wilson had 19 carries for 50 yards. Sermon had 10 for 32. Um, they can get quite a bit out of their backup guys and their running back, or their wide receiver turned running back turned, you know, Swiss Army knife. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of compared him to Percy Harvin. I, I think that Debo Samuel is that kind of explosive weapon for them, and – they're just getting their offense together at the right time. I mean, they have only had one game this year, San Francisco. No, I'm sorry, two games where they have not gone over 100 yards rushing. And in the last two weeks, 156 and 171. Mm-hmm. Like they, they are running the ball well. And I don't know if the Vikings have any solution to stopping that outside of trying to load the box up and hope you can fool Jimmy Garoppolo every once in a while. But the reality of this game now becomes – We've been discussing Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and throw the ball downfield, and Mike Zimmer talked even more about it today, how his conversations with Kirk Cousins have been really helpful in giving uh, Cousins more confidence and all those things, which, of course, Cousins basically denied. I don't know. They just do that. It's a weird thing because – he said, yeah, like, I'm still not going to go out there and, and, you know, be okay if I throw interceptions, basically being given the green light – and then say, let's just turn it to a yellow. 
Right. Like, yeah, right. I don't know. This is so odd. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think some of that too, though. I mean, I asked Mike Zimmer, like, have you changed your approach with that? Because can you imagine him sitting here with you two years ago, a year ago, even and being like, yeah, Kirk, let her rip. No, nope, he's never either. been like that. So clearly something changed about his approach and the way that he's going into this. And he doesn't necessarily think it's that. I think he doesn't want to come out and say, yeah, like I, I took the handcuffs off my quarterback so he can throw you know, openly and do whatever he wants to do. It's just that their relationship has changed. So Kirk's more comfortable now. Maybe, maybe the relationship with Zimmer, I, I don't think Zim wants to take too much credit for it. In terms of the relationship, their talks is like all of a sudden led mm-hmm. to a good, a better quarterback in terms of being aggressive. But I think it's fair to say that it has. Oh, like yeah. Yeah. you have the support of the head man who has you know undermined you in a lot of different respects the last three seasons before now. That probably feels pretty good because you know you're in a good spot with him and you can do less wrong than you've done in the past because before Kirk could do no right. Like yep. <laughs> that's just kind of how it came across where he's damned if he did damned if he didn't. Right. Because cousins would be aggressive and then Zimmer would say, he's got to not turn the ball over. And then he would be conservative and he would say he needs to push the ball downfield. <laughs> and at least he's been more consistent. And I should mention by the way, that uh, Jeremiah Searles and I had a conversation about this uh, more in depth about throwing down the field and everything else. This was recorded yesterday before everything with Everson Griffin broke. So you'll hear that conversation later in the week here on, on, on the show. But I felt like it was better that we talk about the Griffin situation um, before we publish that episode. So um, what I was kind of alluding to, though, is this one is really on the offense. I mean, they are going yeah. to have to win this football game because it's very hard to see the Vikings defense being able to completely slow down San Francisco. And I know some people, when I wrote like, look, I I don't think this defensive line can really pressure the quarterback. I think this defense isn't any good at this point. Uh, I know some people push back against that with whatever stat that they like, but look, you're 23rd in points allowed. You're not at this point without Daniel Hunter getting after the quarterback. Uh, Aaron Rodgers sat in the pocket all day in the second half of that game and just threw touchdowns against you. Mm-hmm. This is not a defense that you can trust. There's no amount of scheme that's going to help. Um, and it's going to be up to the offense. But when you look at San Francisco's defense, they are really strong. I mean, this is for several years in a row now. They are uh, third in passing yards allowed. They are top 10 in net yards per attempt allowed. I mean, this is, this is the, I think, a way tougher challenge than Green Bay, especially considering you're in San Francisco. And if they can continue to play offensively like they have the last couple of weeks against this team and have the offense lead a win against this team, that would be really impressive to me, I I think. To keep pace with this offense is going to be really tough. Like, could this be a 30, 35-point scored game? Yeah, I do think that could potentially be it. Like, how is Emmanuel Mosley – you know, who's going to face his toughest competition this week against Justin Jefferson. How does he react to that? Do we see Jefferson covered, uh, given the same sort of defensive looks? I mean, they played so much, like, they gave him such a cushion against Green Bay, and maybe that's because they were worried about defending the underneath route. But do they play him in that way, or do they say, hey, that was probably not the right idea? Like, if you give him off coverage, he's going to, you know, you had 139 rushing 139 receiving yards like that's insane so how do they play him differently can Kirk still take those chances will he still take those chances because sometimes I mean even after the game he said yeah there are about half dozen chances I wish I you know that I was too aggressive on and it's like well 
you know, he goes back and forth like with, yeah, I like being aggressive, but not too aggressive. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just, is this the week the offense reverts back to form? Yeah, that's where I, I made the joke about like, I'm not even sure the word aggressive is a word anymore because it's lost like all meaning. It's said the, so much yeah. in this media room, <laughs> this media center. Um, but I think what this shows us is that like the Vikings offense has been good enough this year at times to make them right when everything else is going wrong. And that's what we saw last week. And yes, uh, Darnell Savage should have picked off that pass. There's no doubt about that. Both of them, really. But when Cousins was pressured 46% of the time, Mm -hmm. and he comes away with still a big day. I mean, that's really rare for him. When And some of it was luck. Yeah, some like of it was the roughing the passer yep. on the first interception, and then obviously Savage on the second one dropping it, and some other penalties and stuff that broke their way. Certainly, they had one of their, I think, uh, most fortuitous. It's a team days. that doesn't get yeah. a lot of breaks, so I mean, it was a big <laughs> at least, day. At least they'll tell you that. Yeah, I think those have more than evened out in the second half of the season. Uh, but when you can hit on those big plays, you can make everything that's wrong right Mm -hmm. if your defense is struggling and they're giving up long drives which they probably will against san francisco you can make it right with big plays and response touchdowns when you give up a two-score lead to aaron Rodgers and you're losing late you can make it right with a last second drive where you hit adam thielen and where you hit justin jefferson and where you make plays i mean that that's why we've seen before you you will see every once in a while a team go to the super bowl that has a number one offense and like the 20th best defense. Very rare. You have to go back to probably 2015, but even in the last 20, 30 years of the NFL, it's pretty rare that a team has a bad offense and a great defense because great defenses can only make you right so much as opposed to offenses that can help you overcome everything. So this to me is a game that is, when you talk about are you going to sign Kirk Cousins and everything else, are you going to give him an extension and all that? I mean, this is one where if you win and you're uh, kind of like a lock at that point, right? I, I mean, it almost becomes that because that really would show that with the right mentality, you can drive success throwing the ball in the toughest of circumstances. It's just now, how do we look at this with this offense knowing it does it not feel like regressions, right? Or like lurking around the corner. And what leads us to believe that? Is it a history and a sample size of when Kirk's had a couple good games in a row? Maybe against worse co- competition than the Packers, worse competition than, like, you know, the Chargers just won a big game on Sunday Night Football. Like, I think they're still very much squarely in that thing. You know, how is he leveled off after that? Like, at what clip can this continue? Because 21 and 2 is a great touchdown to interception ratio, but. The reason that it's so low is because he wasn't taking a lot of chances. So now, now that you give him the green light to do it, will he actually do it? Because that's the thing. That's the push and the pull with Mike Zimmer. It's like he doesn't want to let him have the keys to the Ferrari completely. He still wants to have, you know, speed restrictions on it. And I think that that's reasonable within the circumstances of the offense and and within the circumstance of who you have at quarterback. So over the last two weeks, and you're talking about, how the roller coaster generally goes. Uh, Kirk Cousins averages 9.3 yards per attempt when pressured. That's third best in the NFL. That's just over the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, when I search this over the entire regular season, uh, you get very different results for Kirk Cousins in terms of yards per attempt when he's pressured. 
Uh, I am scrolling down all the way to 30th in the NFL at 5.1 yards per attempt for the full season when he's under pressure. That's the thing you'd be concerned about here when the other team has Nick Bosa. The other thing is teams are figuring this out that if you move really good rushers over the center, that you're going to get into the backfield. and you Even wonder, if it is Mason Cole that you're yeah. facing versus Garrett Bradbury. We saw what Kenny Clark did. Right, exactly. So I, I want to look here to see what Nick Bosa did um, in terms of moving around. But I feel like a lot of teams have started to do this. It's just it, – I think that there's a case for, yeah, they could regress, but it's not guaranteed. I mean, it's on your shoulders, really. I mean, it's, it's Jefferson – and it's Thielen and it's Cousins. And if you want to win this game, you guys have to go win this because you're short everywhere else. Yeah. No, I mean, there's there was no doubt in my mind in that Green Bay game that they were going to have to score just about every possession that they had in the second half because the defense was sputtering. I mean, the Chargers drive. They come out – the Chargers come out on offense to start the third quarter. Defense looks obliterated. Ten plays, 75 yards, six, seven minutes. And it's like, okay, well, that was whiplash. And then even against Green Bay, when you're dealing with Aaron Rodgers and how accurate he is and how he can scramble and the, two of his touchdowns came on throws that he had six seconds to make, mm-hmm. like – your defense couldn't adjust to that whatsoever. And I think that that was a big problem and a big gaffe in that game. How does that not happen against San Francisco? Well, you're going to have to put the weight exact squarely on the offense again and ask them to pull you through because it just doesn't feel like your defense is capable of doing so. Tell me if you think this is odd. Uh, so, by the way, Nick Bosa has moved both sides. It kind of depends on the game, which is interesting. Uh, but they might have D Ford back also. Yeah, I was looking that up too. But there's a, a very odd quote from Kyle Shanahan when he's asked about Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, and he said, I think we've made it clear that Trey is our guy of the future, which is such an odd thing to say before a huge game in which you need Jimmy Garoppolo to go out there and play against the Minnesota Vikings. Kyle Shanahan has some odd things that he says, I, I think, publicly sometimes. That's a weird one, but... That's the other part of it, too, is Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is a good quarterback, just in the same way that Cousins is. I think he's got a little more gumption, or at least has Mm -hmm. in the past, than maybe Cousins has. But it's not impossible for him to have a tough game. The thing that they do when he has a tough game is they find other ways. Sure. And so I think that's a huge deal. What? Okay, so what what are we not talking about here? Because my brain's spinning in a bunch of different ways here and as we've been talking I'm just sort of refreshing Twitter and trying to see what's going on so I mean what else are we missing about this matchup in this week well um if they win that gives them a very good chance to run away with the seven six seven seed more than they already had like this is why it's such a must-win situation because of where the 49ers are in the mix for that spot where the Eagles are and then beyond that where the Saints are maybe where Carolina is I don't know if we really care anymore I don't know I don't think we care about where Atlanta is they're in a spot now that this is so critical for like so they don't have to back into the postseason at the end and this is a quality win not that we're talking about style points or anything like that this isn't the college football playoff but it's it's big just to be able to prove that you can you know, this is a place that you scored one touchdown, and then all of a sudden in 2019, the, the divisional playoffs, you just let your foot off the gas. You score on your opening drive, and then everything falls apart, and you get blown out. So obviously, you cannot have that happen again. 
Folks, have you ever thought about taking a bike to work but figure it's too far or that the hills are too steep? Or heck, who wants to show up to work covered in sweat? Well, that's why you need to check out the electric cruiser bike from my friends at Boogie Bikes. The Boogie Bike gives you all the experience of saving gas, getting outside, and feeling the wind through your hair. Say if you have a haircut like that Green Bay quarterback. Uh, but you don't have to be an Olympic cyclist in order to get all those benefits. The Boogie Bike has a strong yet quiet motor, sensitive pedal assist, and a very comfortable seat for you to cruise along for miles and miles. Don't settle for a low quality bike. The Boogie Bike is built in Wisconsin using its highest quality parts from around the world. And honestly, it looks cool and goes fast. Go to boogiebikes.com, get yourself an electric bike today and use the promo code SKOL, S-K-O-L, to get $250 off your purchase and a nice basket as well. By the way, there is no risk within the first 15 days you can try a Boogie Bike, and Boogie Bikes have an industry-leading five-year warranty as well. Again, go to boogiebikes.com. Check them out today. Folks, it's that time again where you're doing your online shopping for the holidays. And look, if you want free shipping, I can help you out with that. For all of your Minnesota sports-inspired goods, use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER when you go to sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Com. You can get their North State beanie, their Adam Thielen autograph shirts, Marcus Foligno fan club design for all of you hockey fans out there, and the one I always mention because it's the best one, the Randy Moss disgusting act. You can put that on a hoodie, shirt, or almost anything else. And plus, anything you want with Skull on it, Soda Stick has it. Again, that's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Perfect for gifts, and you can get that shipping free by using the code Purple Insider. So here's something that just came to my mind. If they win this game, and you just laid it out there, the playoffs are kind of yours. Yeah. Because after this week is Detroit. Thursday night football has the Rams. Then you have Chicago. Steelers. Excuse me. Steelers Steelers are Christmas, day after Christmas. The Bears are before that. You face the Bears again. You have Green Bay on the road. But, like, it's a really favorable schedule when you talk about back half and getting in and being 9-8 and being enough. There's plenty of that. So if they make the playoffs considering where they started and the things that have happened – Oh my gosh! I mean, you got to think about everything they've overcome this year. It's kind of the crazy part about it. Would you be saying you want Mike Zimmer as your coach going forward? I don't know if ownership's already made up their mind. I'd be really curious to see. Okay, was there one game, one moment that they were just like, "Nah, we're done with this. Like, we need to move on as quick as possible at the end of the season," or is Zimmer truly coaching down to Week 18 for his job now? I think we really only need to see about like one or two more games before the conversation of Kirk Cousins and the extension becomes readily apparent that it's going to happen. I mean, it feels like it's going to happen because even if like, but they have to make the playoffs with him in order and win a game in order for it to happen, in my opinion. So as far as everybody else, yeah, you are coaching for your job. You're coaching for your future, even if you do have time still left on your contract because it's a win-now league and teams want to be able to keep up with others doing that. If he were to make the playoffs, win a game, is this the best coaching job Mike Zimmer has done? I mean, it'll certainly be the one that he had to overcome the most stuff that wasn't personal health-related issues like when he dealt with his eye, when he dealt with – 
um, you know, North Turner. I mean, 2016 was the year that he had so much chaos. Teddy's yes. knee. Yep. You know, they they start out really hot and then they slide to eight and eight because they stunk coming out of the bye. Like, there's all of that stuff that I think Zimmer was really good at handling. But this is probably the most 2016-esque year because it kind of feels that there's something new on and off the field every week that he's dealing with. And I think he's handled it much better than 2016 um, this year, including getting together with Kirk and actually trying to repair that relationship and work together. That relationship might, the way that it is right now, that might save the season. Like we were talking about this the other day, my editor and I, the year the Giants went to the Super Bowl, Tom Coughlin like changed his whole approach up. Mm -hmm. And it was about midway through the season. Like he realized he was like losing his grasp on the locker room and decided, hey, we're going to be aggressive in different areas. We're going to try to change what we do, change our identity. And that's rare for a coach to do that that many weeks in the season. Well, you know what else is kind of rare? When Mike Zimmer's talking about Justin Jefferson and that he's frustrated in games, this is somebody who usually does not do things like that where it's more of a put-up-or-shut-up type mentality of you wait your turn, you'll get your opportunity. Well, he saw that his star receiver, his, his two top receivers were unhappy and if those rumors end up being true, that like one of them, I think it might have been Thielen, was like looking to try to get out of here at the trade deadline. So, um, I think that he looks at that and says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, I want to run the football, but we have to do it. We have to run this offense in a way that's going to keep the guys who are putting up the most production keep them happy." So that's a stand-up coaching job for somebody who has been stubborn to kind of give an offense and the offensive mindset. And who has not truly bought into that um, new philosophy? But I can say right now that he's in a much better place to do so, yeah, given I what he's so demonstrated. There, there is a little bit of me that thinks if you lit the house on fire, do you get credit for putting it out with water? And you know, this environment was created by Mike Zimmer of the frustration of these receivers and everything else, and yeah. by Kirk Cousins anxiousness about taking shots downfield but it's also been who Cousins has been before but Zimmer did not push him hey this is what what I want from you this is how I believe in you and everything else and Cousins I don't know if he did this on purpose but said the same thing Zimmer said in 2018 today in a press conference he said hey there's a lot of people in the organization whose futures rest on the ball in my hands and like wait that's what Zimmer said back in 2018 and you just wonder like where's it, that coming from? Did right. he pick that up from the head coach? If that, well, if that's repaired or if cousins has got a little bitterness still about this whole thing of kind of Mike coming out and being like, Oh yeah, I told him to do it. So, uh, and then cousins saying, no, 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 I'm just playing exactly the same way. It's a little bit of a weird dynamic. So I'm not sure if I want to go all in and say that he deserves credit for it, but the way they're playing football right now is the way you can play to actually win. Mm-hmm. And even if it took a while to come around to, He's come around, and that puts you in a spot to potentially win in the future. But I don't know. There's another part of me that says just because you overcame stuff the year before doesn't mean in the future that you can actually win and not end up in the same spot you are, which is probably going to be like 9-8. and Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, being a one-hit wonder one year is no fun for teams. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars did that, and they were in a perennial state of rebuild and still are. So do I think that this is their only window? No, but I think with this group, it's – it's it's the getting it done with this group right now or it's not doing it with them ever again. 
in a lot of respects. Yeah, that very much could be the case. So uh, we will be doing this and keeping track of everything that is going on with Everson Griffin, leading you up to really what is the deciding game of the year, I think. You go one way or the other in San Francisco, and now they will have to overcome a lot in order to do that. But if they do, uh, then they're in good shape down the stretch. So we will be here for you as always. And like I said, the conversation with Jeremiah will be later in the week. Um, Pro Football Focus's Brad Spielberger is going to talk a little bit more about the Cousins contract situation. That'll be later in the week. So, um, but we'll keep you up to date on, on what happens with Everson Griffin. So I appreciate everyone listening and your time as always, Courtney.